Genesis 22. So tonight, I want you to know that God sees you as more than enough because of Jesus. That you, in all of your perceived insufficiencies and weaknesses and flaws and not enoughs, you are always enough because of Jesus. If you don't get anything else from this text, that's what you're going to get. You are always enough in the eyes of God because of Jesus. Now, how many of you guys have ever experienced joy or gratitude that was so immense that you thought, this is too good to be true? And when that happens, your experience kicks in and says, oh, you know this won't last. (laughs) And this is too good to be true, so you're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And we often live in this fear narrative where when good things happen to us and things are rolling and things are going our way and we feel like everything's just working for us, we get suspicious because we know that the world's not supposed to work that way. Life doesn't work that way. And so the minute gratitude should be given or joy should be experienced, we instantly get on the defense and we say, I'm not so sure I want to dive into this right now. Because I know that if I don't grab on, then it will hurt less when the bad things come around or when I lose this gratitude and joy. And so we live with the LOLs of life and we're afraid that there's somehow going to be some awful cosmic typo that goes to SOS. That when we want to laugh out loud, we're afraid that somehow it's going to turn into save our ship or save our soul. And so we don't allow ourselves to experience gratitude and joy. Abraham and Sarah are a couple who were promised 25 years ago that they would have offspring and that these offspring would multiply and that they would become a nation and that these offspring would eventually bless the entire world. So, they do what you're supposed to do when you're promised offspring. Didn't work out. So the next month, I realize it didn't work out again. Each month passes and Sarah is not pregnant. And this happens not just for one, two, three, four, not even 10 years or two dozen years, but 25 years of trying and failing. At what point do you say these promises aren't happening? And finally it comes. God visits Abraham and disguised as a human with two partners with him. They're wanderers on a road. They're hungry. Abraham feeds them. He says, oh, by the way, I have a word for you. Sarah is going to have a child in her this time next year. And Sarah is eavesdropping in the kitchen and she hears this and she chuckles. And the stranger looks over and says, why did your wife chuckle? Why did she laugh at that? 
Is anything too hard for God? Now, was this a chuckle of disbelief? Was it the laughter of, I can't believe it's finally going to happen? Or is it, we've been waiting a long time for that, buddy. Who are you to come around and tell us, oh, next year? We don't know exactly the motive of her laughter, but she laughs. Hence, when Isaac is born, this promised son of 25 years, he's named Isaac, which means laughter. And I can't help but see that this boy in the life of this old couple who waited 25 years of frustrating attempt after attempt looks at him and sees him as laughter because this is the climax of joy in their life. This is the uh, epitome of gratitude that they have been working for and waiting for and yearning for. That here in this boy is laughter and this is the goodness of life. And so we have moments when God brings laughter into our lives too. And then we realize, wait a minute, there's another shoe that's going to drop. So what does God say? 22 verse 1, after these things, which I just narrated for you, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. God said, take your son, your only son, laughter, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Offer him as a sacrifice? Abraham could hear the other shoe drop. It might have taken years, but it came. And what they dreaded is here. What does Abraham do? In verse 3, he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son, laughter. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him, this mountain region called Moriah. On the third day, Abram lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. That's the place I'm going to offer my son. He's, he's, what is he doing? Like he's even looking for it from afar. I'd be like, oh, did I miss the turn off? My bad. In verse 5. Then Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, can't even call him laughter right now. I can understand. We'll go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, of course, if you're reading from the New King James, it says we will come again. And you're, you're looking at that saying, wait a minute here. What's going on? You're supposed to be offering your son as a sacrifice. That means he dies and gets burnt up. He's gone. But you're telling these servants that he's going to come back with. So either you don't understand what's going on, Abram, or you're a liar, or is there something about this God that you know that we don't know? Verse 
So Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. This is verse 6. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. He said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? He's starting to put it together. Oh. Now... Oh, how close are they? Is he going to run away? Is he planning his escape? Or is he, as we kind of piously assume, being a very holy obedient, saying, yes, Father, whatever you want to do, you can kill me, that's fine. What's going on in Isaac's mind now? But Abraham replies, verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Okay, so what is, you should have about 5,000 questions going through your mind by this point, starting with verse (laughs) 2. Take now your son and sacrifice him? Now, I understand, we've, if you've been in the church for some time, you've heard this story since Sunday school. And so this is like old ground for you. This is top 10 passages of scripture. You know this one. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, we know this ends up pretty well. Abraham's a heroic man of faith. But step out of that for a minute and approach this for the first time, not knowing about Jesus and not knowing the rest of what you know about God. And we're only in the 22nd chapter of the Bible. And now this God who's been promising all these good things suddenly has a a second side to him, like a bipolar kind of God. And he says, now I want, you waited 25 years for this kid, I promise you, now I want you to kill him. You should be asking all kinds of questions about what kind of God is this who would make you wait 25 years, fulfill his promise, and then say, now that you're laughing, I'm going to bring disaster. If that's the kind of God we have here, he's no different than the experience of the so-called forces or the other gods out there in which life is a series of happiness and sadness. And this God is like, ha, I told you he's going to come. The other shoe is now coming down on your son. That's one question. How about Abraham's reaction to this? Well, immediately we see in verse 3, he rose early in the morning. Where is this pious man's prayer time? Let me pray on that. Let me make sure I'm hearing you properly. Let me assess if I want to obey. There's absolutely no seeking this God about the method of this. It seems that Abraham knows exactly what to do. He wakes up early. He starts getting the wood. He gets the fire. He gets the servants. They start going. He's looking for the right place to do this. Abraham seems like he's done this before, which begs the question, how does he know how to do this? And this is where we have to step aside and realize that Abraham is new to this God. He's new to this. He's not new to sacrifice. He's new to this God. Now, Joshua tells us that he was a pagan when God called him out of his family to come to this new land. He, le- he had to learn how to leave his gods. 
Now, back in the day, you would worship all kinds of gods, and generally your family would pick one god that was sort of like the patron god of your family. And you would make sure you sucked up to that god a lot, because that god was responsible for making your crops grow, your cattle make uh, milk and cheese and uh, more baby cattle so that you can keep having cattle and okay meat, like, and so that your, your wife could become pregnant and have babies. Like, this was the reason you wanted to kiss up to this God, this deity. And you also kind of kept the others in check. This was life back then. Abraham's coming to this new land with these gods in tow, and now an added God, and he begins to offer uh, offerings to this God. We see when he first gets to land, he makes an altar for this God, and we see that, okay, so cool. Abraham's like into this God. He follows him to a new land, and he makes an altar for him. And now Abraham uh, is going to have to learn about this new God. So what do we gradually see? We see some things like Pastor Mike showed us last week. Uh, God shows in the stars, so shall your offspring be. It says Abraham believed God. Right there, there's a step. Now he's beginning to believe that this God is going to fulfill promises. Then he has a lapse and he tries to get um, Sarah pregnant via uh, get a child via his handmaid, Hagar. That's a lapse. God comes back and says, no, no, no. Okay, I want to know that you know that we are in this together. So I want you to circumcise your you-know-what. And he's like, uh, do what to my what? <laughs> uh, okay, and so we see that he's beginning to trust this God even more as he does this step. Then we come to this moment sacrifice your son. So why am, I, why am I giving you this backstory? What is the effort of talking about these gods that were around and now this God? Well, here's the thing. Remember, Abraham's still learning who this God is and that this God is not like the gods he came from. So what was it like in paganism? Well, paganism was all about sacrifices. Because you believe the gods were the reason that your crops grew. The gods were the reason that, that you had children. The gods were the reason that you had cattle. So every year when you reap a harvest and a new animal's born and you have a new child, you are giving the gods praise and glory and honor. You're giving them part of your crops, part of your animals, and sometimes one of your children. Because you never, ever, ever knew where you stood with the gods. They didn't talk to you. They were in charge, and they said, you better please us. That was how it was left. So every year, you would offer them stuff. And you're like, maybe one more bull this year, just in case, just to make sure we're on good terms. But you don't hear back from the gods. So you keep offering more and more and more. And eventually, sometimes you might even offer a child just to show the God how devoted you are to him. These were gods who were never satisfied. These were gods who always wanted more, more, more. Crops, cattle, children. Now, we might kind of smirk at this and say, oh, those foolish people. But are we really any different? We are still offering children today to the gods of our society addictions, businessmen, sometimes pastors and missionaries. We are making children, we're sacrificing children in our lifestyle as Americans.
And then, if we're not doing that, we're waking up every day. Maybe you're like me. You wake up, not enough sleep. You start going on your time or on your day, not enough energy. You start looking at what you have to do that day, not enough time. You start seeing the things you got to tackle, not enough ability. You start looking at all your other coworkers or the other people at the grocery store, or whatever you're doing that day, and you're like, not enough support. <laughs> and there's just never enough of anything in our day. And we wake up hitting the ground in debt. And so we live in this constant demand. There's the, the, the forces of life are constantly saying more, 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 more. The sad thing is we're letting them. And then when all is said and done, we go to bed thinking about what we didn't do, what we weren't good enough at, what we failed at, and we wake up and do the same thing. Oh, not enough sleep, not enough energy, not enough time, not enough food. Why did you eat the last Pop-Tart, Susie? (laughs) And yet we never question that. When the not enough gremlins come and speak to us, we never question, we never assess, we never say, Did I, am I really lacking? Am I really not enough? And so then we go through our life whining, complaining, and talking about how we are not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not strong enough, we're not skilled enough. I don't have enough style, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough health, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough power or influence. And we go on and on and on and on, and suddenly when you step back and look at this, you realize... We are living our lives like the pagans lived before their gods. Never satisfied, never enough. And so God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to offer your son. Abraham didn't seem to blink an eyelash. It seemed like he was ready for this moment. The minute Isaac was born, I'm going to have to make a pretty heavy sacrifice to these gods. And so he sees Yahweh, this God of the Bible, initially just like the other gods. Of course you're demanding my son. This is what normal people did who were religious and pious. So he's going. We have questions you should be asking. Um, His servants have questions. What do you mean we are coming back? His son has questions. Uh, Where's the lamb? And then he gets there and he builds the altar and he puts Isaac on it. And so let's continue in verse nine. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the twist comes the thing that you should not have been expecting if you're reading this like a person way back then of course he's offering his son that's what the gods demanded but suddenly there's a twist and we're shocked this god is not like the other gods 10 says then abraham reached out his hand took the knife slaughter son but the angel of the lord called him from heaven and said abraham abraham and he said here am i said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Whoa. Okay, so the story is going like any other man worshiping his God back in this time would have done. Yes, I'm going to offer my son. Then the twist he does not kill his son. God says, Stop. Or he says, enough. Because this God is not looking at humans in a way in which he's never satisfied and he wants more and is demanding and wants more and more. This God from the beginning never needed the sacrifice. This God looks at Abraham and says, enough. Your trust in me is all I needed. And now I know you trust me. Abraham, it's enough. And in a world where you're constantly living with not enough, and I am not enough, and I can never give enough, this must have been the most greatest good news, gospel good news, that Abraham could have ever heard from the mouth of a God. First of all, this God actually gives me feedback. Second, he said, it's enough. I'm enough. I've given enough. He's not demanding. He's not saying not good enough. More, more. And the, the, the extra at the end is where it says, the Lord will provide. This is not just a God who's different, but he's completely opposite. Those gods wanted to take this God is providing. He, so, so, so Abraham's God is not only satisfied says it's enough, but he provides. He's a provider. He says, Abraham, great. You're here. Let's do a sacrifice. I will provide the ram for you. And then he blesses just to put a cherry on top. This God goes over and beyond what any God is supposed to do. Now he's going to re-bless Abraham all over again. So verse 20 Uh, Verse 15, and the angel of the Lord spoke to him a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. Imagine their faces when they saw the boy with him. And they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. This is our God. We are always enough. He is always satisfied. He will always provide. He's not insufficient and looking for us to help supply We are insufficient and he is going to supply our needs so that he can look at us and say, enough. 
You're not in debt. You're not behind. You're not lacking. You are always enough. And here's the best part of all. We're always enough because of Jesus. The one who came as God's provision to us in the way this ram was sacrificed on behalf of Isaac. Jesus was sacrificed on behalf of us so that we are enough and we are blessed. And this mount called Moriah is believed to be the very mountain range in which Jerusalem would 2,000 years later be built upon. Well, at least Jesus would be there 2,000 years later and crucified in Jerusalem on this mountain range. What's going on here? Abraham finds out that he's enough in God because he goes to Calvary and at Calvary where Jesus became everything for him, he finds out, I don't have to keep pleasing God. God isn't demanding more, more, more. He's given more, more, more. And if we're at a place where we feel lack and we feel that we are not enough and we're not hearing that God is actually looking at us with love and saying, no, you are always enough, always enough. We need to go to Calvary. We need to see the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus and realize that that is what God thinks of us. We so would not believe that our God is different than all the other demands of the world and life that he had to send his son so that we would finally get it, that we would finally see his display of provision. And when we see him crucified and that provision, we finally get it. And we say, we are always enough. Here's the struggle that we have. We're still humans, flesh and blood, who have this thing that Paul calls the flesh, which in our vernacular in America, we generally use the word ego. It's the same idea. We have this thing within us that wants to be in charge, that wants to be fulfilled, that wants to feel important. It wants to be enough without being given that enoughness from something else or someone else. And so what do we do? We have sacrifice mentality We go before God and we want to parade our sacrifices to him. We want to show what we've given up. We want to show what we abstain from. We want to show how well we've done things and what we've given up and what it's cost us to be a follower of him. We have a sacrifice mentality. And all sacrifice does is it teaches us that we are enough because I made myself that way. But you'll never be enough for your sacrifices because you know what sacrifices will lead to? Well, you're going to start with your crops. I'm enough. Then the gods will say, I want your cattle. Okay, I'm enough. Now I want your child. Okay, where does it end? Sacrifices only lead to the greatest loss you can imagine. They never fulfill. The God who blesses Abraham, you're going to find yourself in this religious movement of sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. You're not going to be blessed, but you're going to be lessed. Because you're constantly having to give something and being taken, something's being taken away from you. And that's why we hear these phrases like, God is a killjoy. Because he takes laughter and asks us to sacrifice him. God is not a killjoy. Religion makes God a killjoy. The religion that demands you make yourself something to keep sacrificing. Now it sounds ugly, but be honest with, let's be honest with ourselves. We are more motivated to make sacrifices. I did this than to say, God did it. 
because there's still that little whisper saying, you did nothing. Can God really accept you on the merits of Jesus? And that Christian, that brother and sister, is where we have to exercise faith. Faith being merely, merely, faith being simply trust. Trust that when God says we're enough, we are enough. Trust that what he has provided is all we need. And I am not forced to come up with the debt on my own. I am not forced to find more things to sacrifice. Think about the people you know who are the expert priests in your family, uh, in your life. You know those Christians, the priestly Christians that go around making sacrifices all the time. They let you know what they've done. But do you, what do you get from people like that? You get entitlement. They always see themselves as better than all the rest of this church. The problem with the church today and those Christians over there and they're hypocrites. They, they're, they're entitled because I've done these things and I expect these things and I expect other people to see me as awesome. Uh, they, see, they see themselves as superior, right? And they have resentment because they have given up all of this and they don't feel they've been adequately compensated for what they've surrendered. This is not a good way to live, brothers and sisters. This is not a good way at all. Sacrifice is appealing. I can do something about it. But faith is hard because we have to trust that God has provided and that because of that provision, I am always enough. Now, I understand that there are times when we need a sacrifice and we talk about making sacrifices. Um, and in a, in to a degree, every one of you here tonight, most of you here tonight, had to make a sacrifice to be here. Like, I get that. There are things that we got to put aside or things, it's hard work to do some things. And we use that word sacrifice. I'm not saying we eradicate it. It's not the act of sacrifice that's wrong. It's the attitude about sacrifice that can be wrong. Do I sacrifice to earn or do I sacrifice because I see that it will bring me closer to God? So Jesus was given as the final sacrifice. And in a minute here, the worship team's going to come on up. We're going to take communion, which is where we recognize him as our ultimate sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, when we come to Jesus as our sacrifice, we never leave less then we came. We always leave blessed. And if in your viewpoint, God has always been a demanding figure and that religion's always required too much, let me humbly suggest that you haven't met the God that Abraham met here on Mount Moriah. 
And let me humbly suggest that you can meet him tonight because we're, we're going to take communion, which is what Christians celebrate as Jesus' sacrifice for us. He provided for us. And you can meet that God in him, his provision. And you may not understand any of that. That's fine. You can tonight. And if you've been struggling with the sacrifice mentality and not been trusting God and have not been living by faith alone, tonight it's time that we sacrifice ourselves to him again. We say, as, as Paul said in Romans 12, 1, present yourself, your bodies as living sacrifices. Say, God, I'm yours. I trust that you have made me enough. You've given Jesus. You provide. You bless. You're satisfied. And I want to give myself to you and leave myself there at trust, depending, loyally leaning upon you from this day forth. Tonight can be your night. So if you need to pray in your heart to God, do so. If you want to pray with an elder or a pastor, you can do that too. And in, right back there, there are the dividers, the screens. That's, the, that's our makeshift prayer room. Go there and pray. If you just want to be alone or a more private place, go back there, pray. This is, it costs too much not to give ourselves to him now. It costs way too much. And some of us have given up too much already. You know what? God does not just provide, but he restores. Let's watch him provide for us tonight.